this evening, uh, if you haven't already noticed, uh, for those of you guys who haven't been here, maybe have missed a week, uh, we're going through a series in, uh, in Scripture on somewhat smaller characters. Uh, first week we talked about Melchizedek, the first priest mentioned in the Bible. Last week we talked about her, who uh, <laughs> I'm still really not sure who he was, um, though I know what he did. And tonight we're talking about um, Abigail. Some of you guys may have known her and studied this passage before. Some of you may be hearing it for the first time. Uh, the passage does not end um, where Carl had read it. We will actually be continuing to read it. Um, but first, before we start, instead of just reading the next chunk and then talking about it, I want to talk about first what uh, Carl just shared with us. And then as we go through, um, I will be reading the remainder of the passage. Because it's sort of long, I decided to break it into these two uh, separate readings. Just rather than skip over details. And so, for that first section we read, uh, a little bit of context. So, King David is not king yet. He's been anointed king. He's been given the office, or he's been anointed over the office, but has not been given it to him yet. And on top of all of that, King Saul has sort of gone crazy. He's trying to kill David. In fact, in the chapter before, uh, David has an opportunity to take Saul's life and spare him. David is in this sort of in-between stage. David is in this sort of in-between stage where he knows what's going to come. He knows good things are around the bend, but they're not happening yet. He's forced to wait. Um, many of us in this life know how this feels. And, and it can be an awful time. And here we find a story of a future king, a man we consider a man after God's own heart, um, really struggling. And the scripture tells us much detail here that I would like to address. So uh, please look at me, if you could look with me, if you will, at the first half of the chapter that we already read. In verse 2, it says that it was sheep shearing time. And, and it, it mentions it as well. It, it's a time of festival. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of feasting. That this man of all had 3,000 sheep and 2,000 goats, which is a large undertaking. Would have been a big party, a big festival. Uh, and many people from around would be celebrating, would have come to this man's house, the estate owner in this area with all of these animals to have a party. In verse 3, I want you to look uh, it's very important details as the story goes on and, and the contrast that Scripture gives. In verse 3, if I can read it again, it says that his name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. And then it gives a contrast to their character. It says that she was intelligent and beautiful. But he was surly and mean. He was harsh and she was beautiful. He is badly behaved and mean and she is intelligent. Or the ESV version says the word discerning. And she was a discerning woman. And it's sort of clear as the story sets up from the good person and the bad person is going to be here. But what we should also look into is how the two people act as the story goes on. It's basically saying here as it introduces us to the story that this man, Nabal, is not a good person, but Abigail is. And so as we read this story and continue on, we should obviously follow in her example. It also says, you probably noticed, it seems odd that it would mention that she's beautiful. Well, I would like to point out this now, and we'll speak to it again towards the end, but this is interesting as we study the entire life of King David. If anyone's ever studied King David and, and kind of tracked his life through the book of First and Second Samuel. King David had one major weakness, uh, and it's when 
And this is actually given in there, I think, this detail is given in, uh, not as important for the story of Nabal and, and Abigail, but for King David. And one of the things he looks for, one of the things he sees, and it mentions that she is beautiful uh, for what will happen at the end of the story. But as the story goes on, David sends messengers. There's a festival happening, they're feasting, they've been living out in the wilderness, he sends messengers to Nabal's house. He basically says, hey, can you help us? We've been out here, me and my men, we've been helping keep your shepherds safe, nothing has happened, in fact, we've taken nothing from them, we haven't taken any of your sheep for ourselves, we've done everything right, we've been good neighbors. So as a neighbor, as you feast, as you celebrate, could we have some? You know, different than you throwing a giant party and your neighbor coming over and saying, oh, hey, you're having a party, and you, of course, would say, what? Well, sure, come on in, have have a glass of wine, have some food, have some, you know, this is what we do with our neighbors. It's, on the one hand, David is sort of asking for a hand out, but on the, other, on the other hand, we kind of understand it. It's a very respectful, polite way of doing it. He goes to Nabal and gives him respect and honor and says, listen, we've done all of these things and you're a great man, and, and if you could give us something, that'd be great. If you could give us a, just a little something to eat, a little, you know, it would be wonderful. Yet, as we know from verse 3, Nabal was not a very uh, smart man. And his response is not just no. His response is actually disrespectful. His response is cutting down not just the action of asking for food, but who David was. If you look at the response of Nabal to him, it's contempt and it's disrespect. He says, who is this son of Jesse? Giving attack to his lineage. Who, who are you? You're, no, you're the son of Jesse. Who knows who Jesse is? And then he goes on to say, to listen, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. This is the man that Samuel, the chief priest over all Israel, anointed as king. And this king, like this man, this surly, bad man, is basically saying, who is this king? Or who is this David? I don't know, and I don't care. And I don't know if it was because David had just spared Saul's life. I don't know if David was just having a bad day. But he got really mad. And, and I don't want to belittle what happened here. David gets very angry. David gets to the point where it's not just I'm mad at the ball. I'm not just mad at the situation. He had faults. We all do. Um, but he gets mad to the point where he says, I'm going to slaughter the ball and every man in his home. Now, in his defense, I sort of understand David's been anointed king. He should be ruling over these people. He should not be living in the desert. He, in his mind, he's thinking, Samuel told me I would be king, but it hasn't happened yet. Samuel, the high priest, has just died. He's wondering, is this ever going to happen? And it's sort of like all of these things in David's life are coming to fruition. And Nabal is having this huge feast. And David just says, you know what? I have 400 men at my disposal. Let's just go take some food because I'm sick and tired of this. Who cares? How much worse can it get? We're living in the wilderness. The king is trying to kill me. My one proponent, the priest Samuel, has just died. Who cares? Let's just, let's just go. And even though it's a harsh reaction, I kind of understand where David's coming from. I kind of understand his frustration. A crazy person is trying to kill him. 
starting in verse 24, or 23, sorry. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. And she fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man of all. He is just like his name. His name is Fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. And now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed, and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like the ball. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket from a sling. And when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him, and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed, or of having avenged himself. When the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. What an amazing speech. A couple of things I want to point out. One, this is the longest, if you know, Fun fact, this is the longest speech, consecutive speech from a woman in the entire Old Testament. This is the longest dialogue that a woman has in the Old Testament. And it is full of awesome truth about God. She basically says, lays down at David's feet and says, don't do this. There's a couple of reasons you shouldn't. One, the Lord has something more for you. The Lord has called you to more. And, and I don't want you, she says, let no wrongdoing be found in you, as long as you know. You are called to more, David. Don't follow through with this. You're better than this. What an amazing woman of God. She knew, somehow, whether the Lord had told her, whether she had heard about it through the country pastor, she knew who this David was. And she knew that he was called to more than this. If you look at verse 30, She says that the Lord has appointed David leader over Israel. So even though it hasn't happened yet, even though Saul is still the king and trying to kill him, she knows and people know that David will one day be king. And she reminds him, she says, David, remember what the Lord called you to. You're going to be the leader of Israel. In verse 29, she says, the Lord will lift your enemies like the stone from a sling. She had probably heard about how David had defeated Goliath in his youth. And knew that God had great things for this man. And then the second thing I want to point out here that's really important in sort of a sub subtext is that David had actually gone through with it. If David had gone in and wiped out the ball and his whole family, King Saul would have finally had the legal reason to kill David. King Saul would have been able to say legally under the laws of Israel that David not only could not become king, but that he could be put to death raising the sword to a fellow Israelite. Abigail was not just intelligent or discerning. God used her to accomplish great deeds towards his plan. 
God used this woman, Abigail, to, to, to establish and continue the covenant he would have with King David. It would eventually become the lineage of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That because this woman listened when the Lord spoke to her and intervened, she acted quickly and she knew what she had to do. And what's amazing to me is she could have blamed her husband, who was an idiot, and David would have probably done the same thing. But she's so humble and so gracious, she even takes the blame. In verse 24, she said, this is my fault. I didn't see your men. I'm so sorry. And that encourages David. She doesn't say, hey, listen, look at all the bad things you're about to do. She encourages David and says, you're better than this. The Lord is calling you to more. What an amazing woman of God. And so, David is at a crossroads. He's angry. His 400 men are ready to go and attack and take what they want. And here's this woman with these gifts to give him and his men pleading. David, don't do this. David, don't do this. And in verse 32 to 35, we see David's response. Verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to the ball would have been left alive at daybreak. And David accepted from her hand what she had brought from him and said, Go in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. David sees it and says, Thank you. I could have done something really bad, but I didn't. I could have done something almost irreversible, but I didn't. If you read on the rest of the story, I'll mention it briefly. Um, Paul ends up being dying because he's a fool, and, and David actually ends up, and this is about the beauty comment, and this is David ends up taking her as his wife, which continues the legacy of David. But for what I want to emphasize tonight, and I think what the Lord wants to show us tonight is this, is that God uses all of us to be his voice. I want you to consider that. This evening, before we started the service, uh, Someone had prayed that we would be the voice of God tonight on the leadership team, and it stuck with me. And I'm thinking, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want the, the, the burden of being God's voice. But when I read this passage, I think that's exactly what God does, isn't it? God uses men and women every single day in various ways, in various circumstances, to be His voice on earth. listening to God, how can I ever share his wisdom? If I'm not hearing from the word of God, how in the world can I share its wisdom? I don't remember who said it to me. It was a mentor early on in my life. But essentially the line was, Sam, when have you ever learned anything by speaking? Um, I mean, maybe I could try to find a way to make that work. But I think what he was trying to say is, to be able to speak with wisdom, to be able to be men and women of God who speak the truth of God, we need to be listening to the truth of God. When others speak into our lives and also from the Word, 
See, this woman, Abigail, had a reputation of wisdom and discernment, which is why her servants ran to her when they were afraid. They immediately go to her and say, hey, what do we do? Something bad's about to happen. They were afraid of David, how he might react, and they knew that this woman, this woman of God, could be trusted. They knew that they could trust what she said to be good and to be right. Because I believe that her wisdom, and it wasn't just on this occasion, I believe that regularly her wisdom came from the Lord. And that if we do not, brothers and sisters in Christ, go to the Lord for wisdom, where will our wisdom come from? If we are not finding wisdom and truth in this book, and in our brothers and sisters in Christ, where are we? Then we're speaking from ourselves. Then we're speaking from our own experience, from our own wisdom. Last week I mentioned this with her about going back to the well and recharging and going back to God to get our strength. And there's one more thing on top of that, on top of finding our wisdom in God that I want to mention tonight in consideration with this story. Think about the two people and their effect on David. What did David's interaction with the evil serving man cause him to do? Get angry and leave a sin. And on the other side, you have this interaction with a godly, discerning woman, and it led him to worship and avoidance of sin. And I believe in some ways this narrative, this, this story from 1 Samuel 25 shows us what the effect of ungodly and godly people have on our lives. When we are surrounding ourselves, and I'm not saying this is always true, that we shouldn't have non-Christian friends or relationships. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when we surround ourselves predominantly with people who are evil and surly and short-tempered and do not use the wisdom of God in their lives, I think it leads us to a very, very high propensity to sin. I think that David was angry because this man did not know the wisdom of the Lord. But the inverse, the other side of it, I see a godly woman. I see this Abigail using the discernment and the will the Lord gave her to help keep him on track. And God could use anyone in our lives. But why wouldn't we, as Christians, surround ourselves with the church, surround ourselves with godly brothers and sisters who bring us to worship, who bring us to a place where they say, listen, you are called to more than this. God has a calling on your life that is stronger and bigger than whatever you're doing. Quite literally, I believe, and I've seen it in my own life, that being around godly brothers and sisters keeps me from sin. Having good guys in my life who say, Sam, you were called to more than this, keeps me out of trouble. And at the same time, you being a godly man and you being a godly woman keeps others from sin. Your job is not just to do the best for you, but to lift up the body to encourage people around you, to encourage men and women to do what their potential and their calling is. This is why I love that Abigail is such a great example. She didn't blame David. She didn't say, David, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. She just said, I'm sorry, this is my fault. Remember the promise, remember the calling God has for you. She lifted him up to encourage him to see more and to do more. She was gracious to David in his darkest moment. And because of it, he was led to worship and avoided sin in his life. And so for all of us tonight, I just want to encourage you to be godly men and women. I really think part of it is 
for us to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters in Christ and to be gracious to one another, to not condemn or to call out sin, but maybe to encourage each other to live to the calling we've received, to be the voices of God in our workplaces and in our homes and in our schools and wherever we find ourselves. There's much to be learned from a woman like Abigail. There's much to learn about what it means to be a godly influence. And so tonight, consider that. Do you have godly influences in your life to lead you to worship? Are you being a godly influence in other people's lives and leading them to worship? Let's pray with you. Lord, thank you for Abigail. She is a godly influence that has been encouraging people for generations. I thank you for her discernment. I thank you for her strength. I thank you for her courage to stand up to 400 men ready to fight. Lord, I thank you for speaking to her. And Lord, I thank you that she had the bravery and the courage to speak up with your wisdom and your truth. Lord, I pray that each one of us would feel a little convicted tonight. That we would see an area in our life where we can speak up for your truth and your wisdom. Lord, show us. Lead us and guide us. Do you want to